A staff lunch this week, uh, you know, now remember our staff generally at our lunches is me and Nathan and Victoria and Matthew. And so at staff lunch this week, we were talking a little bit about marriage and some issues of uh, finances and those kind of things came up. And I remember we brought up the issue of insurance and, and I started to make the comment, you know, when you get married, especially when you start having a family, you want to make sure that you have enough life insurance that your spouse or your family could take be taken care of in case you die. And Nathan immediately said, but not so much that they're tempted. You know, I, I thought about that. Have, have you ever been in a position where you knew that your spouse was angry with you and you just kind of slept with one eye open? <laughs> I've never, never been in that situation because I absolutely, completely trust my spouse. I have full assurance that she loves me and that she would not do anything to harm me, right? And certainly I've never done anything to aggravate her to that point uh, that she might want to take a broomstick to me in the middle of the night. But you, when there is a lack of trust, when there's a lack of assurance, you find it hard to rest. John, in today's passage, is going to address this issue of our walk with the Lord about what happens or how can a Christian find assurance? How can we have confidence in our relationship with the Lord. Because certainly, I'll confess that there's been times throughout my years of being a believer, gosh, uh, 40 years or more of, since I've put my trust in Christ, there's been times when I wondered if I was truly his. How can I, how can I have assurance? How can I know? I want you to see a couple things. We're going to read chapter 3 of 1 John, verses 19 through uh, the end of the chapter, through verse 24. And in the first few verses, you see the words uh, that we can know that we can reassure our hearts, and that we can have confidence. That's the theme of today's passage. So that we can, John's writing these things so that you might find a measure of assurance and confidence in your walk with the Lord. Now, before we go too far, I want to remind you that that matches the thesis of this entire letter of 1 John. 1 John chapter 5, I'd pointed out, uh, John tells us why he wrote his gospel, and he tells us why he wrote 1 John. He says it in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. So he wrote the gospel of John so that you might know who Jesus was and, and, and understand the, the, that Jesus was the Son of the living God, that in Christ you might have salvation. He wrote First John, this letter, to the church of people who were saved that they might find assurance that they could rest in. And so today, in the, the text that we're looking at, we find ourselves right in the middle of John's uh, his expression of, the, of that thought and trying to help the church come to a place where they can find assurance. I'm going to read the text. First John chapter 3, verse 19, is where we'll begin. He said, this is how we will know that we belong to the truth and we will reassure our hearts before him whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts and he knows all things. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive whatever we ask from him because we have kept his commandments and do what is pleasing in his sight. Now this is his command that we believe in the name of the son of 
of the Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he has commanded us. The one who keeps his commands remains in him and he in him. And the way we know that he remains in us is from the spirit he has given us. Now, I want to walk through just a little discussion with you for a moment about his reference here to the heart and whether we can trust the heart or not. Uh, That's a curious question because the text from Jeremiah chapter 17 uh, refers to the heart as deceitful and untrustworthy. And yet, uh, later on, when God speaks through the, the prophet Ezekiel, he tells the, the, the people of God that because their hearts were messed up, that he would give them a new heart. He would remove their heart of stone and he would give them a heart of flesh. The word heart throughout that text in the Old Testament and the text here, truly, I think we understand is not the, uh, the physical muscle that's inside our chest that's you know, going boom, 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 you know, beating and pushing blood through our body. It's a metaphor for our conscience, our conscience, our, the, the, the innermost, that in, inside part of our being that God has placed inside every single human. And the heart, that conscience, is a guide for us that can help set off alarms uh, to help us to know right from wrong and to help us to, to, uh, uh, to have a sense of, of, of what we want or what we don't want. The problem with the heart is, comes from a couple different areas. First of all, God gave every human a conscience, but not every human listens to their conscience, okay? first off. But second, for those who don't know Christ, the heart can be very untrustworthy. It's, uh, I was trying to think of a great illustration that, that we all might connect with. One of them might be, uh, how many of you have ever had that, that check engine light come on on your car? And the check engine light comes on to tell you something is wrong with your vehicle. And you take it to the repair shop and they come back and say, oh, well, nothing's wrong with your vehicle. Really, it's just a sensor had gone out. And, and that, it seemed like every time the check engine light would come on on one of my vehicles, it had to do with one of those emissions control sensors. And it wasn't that the, the vehicle was putting out too many emissions, that there was anything wrong with the actual uh, mechanical operation of the vehicle. It's that the sensor had gone bad. Well, oftentimes our conscience, especially for those who don't know Christ, have a conscience that's been stained by sin. And because our conscience is not working right, our conscience has not been replaced and been made alive by the spirit of the living God. Our conscience has black spots and dead spots. Our conscience will mislead us. It's like it's a bad sensor. When Christ puts a new heart in us, and this is who John's talking to here. John's talking to the church. He's talking to believers. And so he's going to tell them that there is a measure of trust that they can place in their heart. Now, hear me there, because I said it that way on purpose. Now, we're going to walk through this text. But there is a measure of trust we can place in our conscience when we're a born-again believer in Christ. And yet, we as humans still can get misled. But there's something bigger than our hearts. There's something more trustworthy than our conscience that will hold it in check. So 
Walk through this text with me. The first paragraph, verses 19 down through about verse 22, is where he kind of digs into this issue of how we find assurance when we have doubts. He said, this is how you know that you belong to the truth. When he says the truth there, he's referring to belonging to Christ. And, and we're in that relationship with God. Remember, John is the one who refers to Christ as the truth multiple times, even in his gospel. This is how you know that you belong to the truth and you can reassure your our hearts or we can reassure our hearts before him. Whenever our hearts, when our hearts condemn us, for God is greater than our hearts and knows all things. When a Christian, you've put your faith in Christ and you are having doubts and you're struggling and you're, you're, you're struggling with that assurance, which sometimes it's because of our sin, uh, but it can be for various other reasons. You may have doubts about a belief system or you may uh, have doubts because of the things from this, this world that is telling you that God's not real, that, that God's dead or whatever it happens to be. John says here, when your feelings or when your conscience doesn't match up with the truth of God's word, trust God because he's bigger than your conscience. Trust God because he is greater than your conscience. Whenever our hearts are condemning us, Christians, when your heart is condemning you for no good reason, trust God's word because God is trustworthy when our heart is not. He is greater than, any, than our heart. He is greater than our doubts. In reality, what that comes down to is there's times when you have to trust what the Word of God has to say and not your feelings. I've used this example before. He goes on there in verse 21 says, Dear friends, if our heart, hearts don't condemn us, we have confidence before God. and We receive whatever we ask of Him because we keep His commands. And so he's telling us if your heart condemns you, but God's Word doesn't, trust God's Word. If your heart doesn't condemn you, then you just move on and you trust, you, you can trust that spirit inside of you. But here, the illustration that I've used in the past is there, there have been times when I, as a child of God, humbled myself before him and prayed and prayed and prayed. And I just felt like he wasn't hearing my prayer. Have you ever been there? You just felt like God didn't hear your prayer. Then I would go to his word and his word says that God Here's the prayer of his children. Now I have a choice to make. Am I going to believe what I feel, what my heart is saying, or am I going to believe what God's word is saying? I, because where I, what I choose to put my faith in, what I choose to believe in is ultimately what's going to drive the train of my life. It's ultimately what's going to move me forward. So there are times when my heart does not align with God's word, I have to put my faith in God's word and not that feeling inside. And that's really the bottom line for us. When you're feeling your gut does not align with God's word, trust his word because his word is more trustworthy. He is bigger than our hearts. If you follow your heart without putting a check on it, it'll lead you astray. God's word is a trustworthy companion 
a trustworthy guide to, to lay aside your life and to lay aside what your heart's telling you and saying, does this line up with God's word? I had a, a, a couple last week that reached out to me and felt like they'd received a, a message from God, some leadership in their life. And, uh, and I just, the first question I asked is, does it line up with God's word? And yes, it does. I had a beautiful email from them later in the week explaining what God was showing them. And it lines up. What the Lord was saying lines up with God's word. That's the real test. Does, does what I feel line up with the word of God? And because and God and his word is always going to be right. And then he moves on and he says, if that's the case, we trust him and accept that gift of assurance. We have confidence before God. If our hearts don't condemn us, we have confidence before God and we receive whatever we ask of him because we keep his commandments and do what is pleasing in his sight. We put our faith and trust in him and begin to walk in a way that pleases him. And in that, we find the assurance that we're looking for. What is it that most often leads believers away from assurance in their walk with God? It is sin. When we sin against God, whether initially it's intentional or unintentional, we fall, you know, what I mean by that is it's something that we have thought through and, you know, you know God doesn't want me to do it, but I'm going to do it anyway. Or one of those times where you, like we talked about last week, something flies out of your mouth that you wish hadn't flown out of your mouth and you want to put it back in. So whether it's, it's, it's one of those instances or whether it's intentional thought out sin, sin is what will begin to separate us from God, and it begins to create that, that unstable heart condition where we begin to question our faith. We begin to question whether we're truly walking in a relationship with God. One of the first indicators I will tell you that you are walking in a relationship with God is if you immediately recognize that you've sinned and you sense the, the, the Holy Spirit not condemning you but convicting you of your sin and you repent and you turn back to God and ask for his forgiveness. That's a sign that you truly are one of his walking with him. A sign that you're not is if you start trying to excuse it and you start trying to rationalize your sin and continue to dwell in your sin. Here he tells us, keep his commands. Receive whatever we ask from him because we keep his commands and do what's pleasing in his sight. You're going to find assurance upon assurance and confidence in your relationship with God when you walk in a relationship with God, when you're obedient to what he's called you to do. Your, your foundation is going to become unstable and you're going to wonder about that relationship when you were walking in sin. And, and you have that sense of separation. I think that that's why John, up front, early in this, in this letter, reminds us that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we can find assurance in the, in the midst of all of our doubts, whether our doubts are coming because of uh, theological issues or, or questions we have in our head or because of things going on in our life. We can find assurance in him when we put our faith in God above and beyond what our hearts tell us. And then we walk in a relationship with him. What is the foundation of that assurance? And I've already alluded to it. And this is what he gives us here in verse 23. 
This is his command. This is kind of the center point of this passage. This is his command, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he has commanded us. When he tells us to believe in the name of his son, it's more than just simply believing that a man in history named Jesus existed. To believe in his name is to buy him. To, to believe what Jesus said, to believe that Jesus is who he says he is, to uh, invest my, uh, my life, to, to trust my life into the, the, the son of God who claimed to be the savior of the world. So to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, is to come to that place where you believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that he did what scripture says he did, and that he offered you this incredible gift of life, and you're putting your faith, your trust in the Son of God, Jesus. Now, here, John does not expand on the, the story of the gospel. He's going to do that other places. He expands on the story of the gospel in, in, the, in his gospel of John for 21 chapters. He expands in other places here on the gospel. The, 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 the content of that gospel, he boils it down to two things. Believe in the name of the Son of God, so buy in. Put your faith and trust in Jesus. Yes, Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Christ. He's the Messiah, the one who came and gave his life so that I could have everlasting life. When we put our faith and trust in him for our, our salvation, that's when we receive that new heart that Ezekiel, God was talking about through Ezekiel. He takes out the heart of stone and he gives us a heart of flesh, a, a heart that, that he, places, he says he places his spirit inside that heart of flesh to lead us and to guide us. It's like he's given us a new conscience, a new heart. He's replaced that old fleshly sinful one with something that's new and alive, that's more trustworthy, okay? When we put our faith in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and we come into a relationship with him and love one another as he's commanded us. Now, who's the one another here? It's a good question. There's, uh, John is hearkening back to what we talked about last week, what he wrote last week, or what he wrote that we read last week, but also hearkening back to John chapter 13. The night before Jesus died, right after he washed the feet of the disciples, he had the Lord's Supper with them, and he was getting ready to move from there to the Garden of Gethsemane. In John chapter 13, he, after he'd washed Peter's feet and Judas's feet and all the disciples' feet, and he was, he was teaching them, he said, I give you a new command, that you love one another. This is how the world will know that you're my disciples when you have love for one another. Last week, he talked about loving the brothers and sisters. Who he's talking about is loving the church, loving the other people within the body of Christ. Now, when you look further in, in, in that story back in John 13, 14, 15, and 16, he, he calls on us to love God, and he also calls on us to love the lost in the world. But the focal point there and the focal point here is you can have assurance when you're rightly connected with the Son of God and you're rightly connected with the people of God, when you love your brothers and sisters in Christ. 
Now, how far do we take that? Because I think that the truth is, and John has already said this, that to love your brothers and sisters in Christ, you have to be in a relationship with them. I hear it far too often. People who, who have such a Western mindset a, uh, of the world, an isolation mindset that, that, you know, my faith is mine. It's about me. I can, I can have faith in Christ and, and, and trust him and follow him, and I don't have to go to church. I don't have to be a part of a church. Well, that's just not true according to God's word. God's word requires that we not forsake the coming together, the assembling of ourselves together as a body of Christ. God's word requires that we're in a love relationship with the people of God the family of God, which is the church itself. And so here there, there's assurance that's found when we are walking in a, in a relationship where we've trusted Christ as our Savior. We've put our faith and trust in him for eternal life and we're connected to his people on a regular daily basis. I, I'll tell you that the majority of people that I deal with that have struggles with their assurance are people that never darken or rarely darken the doors of a church. I'm not saying that those who come to church always are, have this strong assurance of their salvation, but if you are separated from the people of God, you're separated from the body of Christ, and you don't have a love relationship with the people of God, you're going to lose confidence and assurance. And whether you're saved or lost, at that point, I begin to wonder, because if you have no love for the people of God, you have no love for the body of Christ, so that you can separate yourself for years or years or years or decades, then I have to wonder, do you really love Jesus, who's the head of the church, who established the church? No wonder John says, believe in him and love your brothers and sisters in Christ. Love one another. In the midst of his discussion on assurance of our salvation, I don't believe that you can separate yourself from the body of Christ for a long period of time and continue to walk in assurance. I think it's naturally going to lead to questions and doubts. Imagine, I told Susan, you know, sweetie, I, I love you and I want to see you every day. But bow season starts October the 1st. I'll be back. I'll be back home January the 22nd when it ends. I couldn't stay away from her that long. I, 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 wanna be, I want her to come out there with me. Uh, you know, I, 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 I'll be gone for a couple days, but I want to come back home to my wife because I love her. I have a relationship with her. And when we're in a love relationship with somebody, it's not easy. I know sometimes it's required. My heart goes out to uh, families who have a loved one in, a, in the military who may be deployed for six months or a year at a time. That's tough. If you're, if you're head over heels in love with one another, it's got to be tough to be separated like that. Now, they don't have a choice. If you're separated from your church because you're locked in a, in a Russian gulag, that's one thing. But if you're separated from your church family because 
you don't care enough to show up. That's another issue. There's probably good reason for lack of assurance in that situation. And, and, and here as we look at the, the, the focal point of this passage, verse 23, I would suggest that if you have not come to a place where you've put your full faith and trust in Christ as your Savior, then you ought to be lacking assurance because you're probably not saved. And if you can walk through life every day and not care one whit about other believers, not have a relationship with your brothers and sisters in Christ, you probably ought to be questioning your relationship with God. You ought to be questioning your faith. But church, this is who John's writing to. John's writing to the church. And he says, sometimes I know that you struggle. Sometimes I know that you, you are, you have this, uh, you struggle with your assurance. You wobble a little bit. You're, that's okay. If you've put your faith in Christ and you're serving alongside your brothers and sisters in Christ, trust him. God's ocean of mercy is much larger than what little drop of, of uh, disconfidence or a lack of confidence that your heart will show. Trust what his word says. If his word says he hears your prayer, he hears your prayer. If his word says that when you put your faith and trust in him, you are transferred out of the kingdom of darkness and you're placed in the kingdom of light, trust his word. Trust what he says. That is the foundation of our assurance. This is his command that we believe in the name of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, to love one another as he has commanded us. The one who keeps his commands remains in him. You can have confidence that you belong to him if you've done those things. You've trusted Christ and you're walking in a relationship, a love relationship with his people. Lastly, how can we remain in this position of confidence? How can we grow in this position of confidence and not continue to be tossed about by, by waves of doubt? Because honestly, especially earlier in my Christian walk, those, those waves of doubt seem to come, come more often and more regular. How do we keep from being tossed around by, by that, that doubt that comes into our life? The first one we see here at the beginning of verse 24, remain in him. We keep his commandments, remain in him. So walk in a relationship with him. Spend time in a relationship with him. Spend time in his word. Spend time in prayer. Remain in Christ. Jesus said, uh, he who abides in me and I in him, or is translated in our CSB, he who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit. You can have confidence that you're his. You can, you can walk in confidence that you belong to him when you simply remain in a relationship with him. When you separate yourself from his word, you're not reading his word, you're not worshiping the living Christ, you're going to begin to fade and lack in your confidence. So remain in him. Keep his commandments. Just obey. Sounds easy, doesn't it? We know it's not easy. We battle against the flesh all the time. Even the Apostle Paul, the great missionary of the first century, he struggled. It's not easy, but it is simple. It's not, you don't have to understand a dark, complex, theological argument 
to remain in a relationship with Christ. You remain in his word and you obey what he tells you to do. It's, it's not complicated. I'm not saying it's easy because we battle our flesh, but I'm saying it's not complicated. Keep coming back to that. Keep circling back around is one of the, the terms that I hear a lot from, from my wife and come, come back to it, circle around to it, right? When you're struggling, come back to this. Get back into his word. And if you're walking in disobedience, stop it. Obey him. And you'll find yourself gaining confidence and assurance in your relationship with him once again. And then he goes on to say, look, and I've given you something that nobody else has had before, basically. The last part of verse 24, the way that we know that we remain, that he remains in us is the spirit that he has given us. Here's where we come back to the conscious to some extent. The spirit of the living God was promised by Jesus in John 16, that when he left, he would not leave us as orphans, but his Holy Spirit would come reside with us and even in us. And so the Christian today, the Christian beginning from Pentecost, the time that the Holy Spirit descended upon the church through today has an advantage that no other human before Pentecost had. We have the presence of the Spirit of the living God with us all the time. See, the Old Testament, they didn't have that. They had the theophanies where God would appear and he would speak. They had God speak through the prophets. They had God speak through the priests. But in the Old Testament, they didn't have the Holy Spirit residing with them every day. And even the disciples who had this great advantage of walking with Jesus where they could look him in the eye and they could hear him teach. And oftentimes we kind of think, man, if we just had it like that, if we could just see Jesus face to face, we could see him you know, on, at the Sermon on the Mount preaching that message to us. If we just had that, we would be better off. Jesus even told his disciples, you know what? Even when I'm here, it's not the same. When I leave, I'm gonna send my spirit and he will be with you always. We, the church, have the advantage of the ever-present spirit of the living God who will walk with us every step of the way. He quickens our hearts to the extent that, that he says here that he remains in us. He remains in us because of the spirit that he's given us. And so we, we learn to walk in a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And what separates us, what begins to create confusion in our lives and causes us to lack assurance is when we have disobedience and the Spirit is telling us something and we don't obey. And the Word of God is telling us something and we disobey the Word of God. You're never going to have assurance if you're not walking in obedience and in the Spirit of the living God. And so... God's desire is, John wrote this letter so that we could walk in assurance. And he's pleading with us, look guys, it's, it's simple. First, take that first step. Put your faith and trust in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. In his name, you have salvation. In his name, you have the cleansing of his blood. In his name, you have new life. Start there. Put your faith in Jesus. And then second, get connected in a love relationship with the people of God. 
Love your brothers and sisters in Christ. Spend time with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Share life with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Love one another. And, and when we're doing that, when we place our full faith in Christ and we're walking in a relationship with him, with brothers and sisters in Christ, we will gain confidence every step of the way. I think about times when I would, uh, in, in high school, we would start two-a-days for football practice. And I was not a very big guy, and I was not a very, I was never going to make it in the NFL. But, you know, there were times when we would start going through two-a-days, and you'd build such camaraderie. And, and you would go over those plays, hitting those blocking dummies over and over and over and over and over. And working together with your friends, working to, together as a team, uh, even praying together with the Christians that were on the team. You just gain this confidence that you can tackle anything. You can take on anything. Of course, our problem was, then we would go up against guys that were, you know, 50 pounds heavier than us and faster than us. And all of a sudden, they were also working together and they had a good team uh, and then they'd run over us. Uh, but when you are walking in unity, walking in unison with other people, there's a confidence and an encouragement that is gained there that you don't find when you're out there trying to do it on your own, when you're by yourself. And so I, I implore you, and I believe that this is at the heart of what John is telling us today, you will gain assurance when you know that you know that you put your faith and trust in Christ and Christ alone for your eternal life, and you've yoked up yourself with other like-minded believers to move forward in this life. So if you're struggling with assurance today, I'd ask you to do a couple things. First, ask yourself that question, is I, have I ever come to that place where I believed in the name of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. I accepted him for who he says he is, and I put my faith and trust in him for not only my eternity, but for my life today. If you're struggling with assurance, start there. Ask if there's reason for, really reason for grounds that you're not sure. Okay? And if you can answer that question in the affirmative and you say yes, I know, I know that I know that Jesus is my Savior. I know that I know if I were to take my last breath on this, this earth today, I'd wake up in his presence. If you know that, move to the next step and begin to examine your life. Am I walking together in unison with other believers in Christ? If I, if I joined my life with my brothers and sisters in Christ in a way that, that we're seeking to serve the Lord together. And then one third, a third area is there an area of disobedience in your life? Is there an area of sin where you know that, that you have disobeyed God and that's beginning to create that, uh, that separation? You've not obeyed his command. You're not spending time with him, walking with him in his word. Ask the Holy Spirit in the next few moments to, to speak to your heart. And certainly, if you're in that first group and you'd say, Pastor, Man, I've never come to that place where I fully put my trust in Christ for my eternity. That's, that's where I plead with you to don't leave here before you get that settled. It is a scary place for someone to look me in the eye and say, Pastor, I, you know, I've, I've, never, I've never put my faith in Christ, and I'm, I'm, I'm just holding out until, I, until I'm sure that I want to do that. That's a scary place to be because none of us know how much time we have left. 
So if, if, if you're there, I plead with you, get that issue settled first. But if you're struggling, if you, if you know that you're a believer, if, if you're a believer and you're struggling with your assurance, allow the Spirit to examine your heart in these three other areas that we've talked about. And if, if you find an area where you're separated from God because of sin or because you're not in His Word or because you're not yoked together, connected with other believers, or maybe it's simply you have a, a, a conflict with another believer that's disturbing your walk with the Lord. Now get that settled. Don't let it go. It's the, if the Spirit is speaking to you about it, He's doing it for a reason. Let's stand together. And I'm going to ask Matthew and the, the worship team to come lead us. I'm going to be down front. And the reason that Nathan and I stand down front here every Sunday is because I believe with all of my heart that when the gospel is preached, when, you, when it comes out of my mouth from God's word, there may very well be someone here who doesn't know for certain that they're saved. And I, don't, I want to give you every chance to get that settled before you leave here because I know what happens when you leave. You leave and the world begins to speak and you begin to get caught up in, in what's going on and what you need to get done today or where you're going to lunch or whatever else is going on in your life. And it's real easy to turn God off and walk out those doors. And what we're talking about is too critical to let that happen. So I want to give you a moment to respond. If the Spirit is calling you into a relationship with Him, don't leave here till you get that settled. Come talk to me about it. Come talk to Nathan about it. If, if, if you need a little bit more time to sit down and go through Scripture, we've got some, some men and women in the church who'd love to sit down and go through Scripture with you. But don't leave here till you get that settled. And the other reason is because I, I believe that God has called us to be public in our Christianity. There's no such thing as private Christians. Jesus said, if you're unwilling to confess me before men, I'll be unwilling to confess you before my Father in heaven. He says that not to be mean. He says that because if you're unwilling to confess him before men, you're not serious. And so God is calling you. If he's calling you to a relationship with him, there's no safer place to do it than in a group of people who already love him. And so this is an opportunity for you to respond uh, to Christ and say, yes, I believe in the name of Jesus. I believe he is the Savior. And I believe that he came to save me. You've been listening to a Sunday morning message from our services here at First Baptist Watauga. Our family's mission is to exalt the Savior, equip the saints, and evangelize the lost. If you want to know more about First Baptist Watauga or need to reach out to us for prayer, go to fbcwatauga.org and let us know. In all things, to God be the glory, honor, and praise.